Welcome back to another edition of the Letterman Jacket Podcast. Today I'm going to be speaking with one Sam Mays about Oklahoma's offensive line rebuild, the transfer portal additions, who they've got to pull in on that offensive line, and how the Sooners are addressing what is a massively turned over position in 2024. But first, a big word from our sponsors, the people who make the Letterman Jacket possible. Two Fellows Movers, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Oklahoma Ford Dealers, MidFirst Bank, and of course, our friends at Fire Lake. They've been with us from the jump, and we are still with them. They've got the Fire Lake Firelight Balloon Fest. It's coming in August. The annual event is one of the best balloon festivals in the country, and now it has an app. Download the Balloon Fest app in the Apple or Google Play Store and go explore everything Fire Lake's got going on right there. All right, now it's me, Sam Mays. We are back in some icy weather in late January, back talking Sooners and back on the Letterman Jacket with Sam Mays, special guest today on the jacket. And today we're going to talk about change. Change, typically a good thing. Most people welcome it. But if there's one place you don't want change where continuity is so important, it can be on the offensive line. And as we're talking about Oklahoma headed into 2024, there's going to be a lot of change on that offensive line for the Sooners come the fall, Sooners' first season in the SEC. And Sam is here to talk about it with us, run through it, run through what the Sooners have done and what it might look like, what might be left to do uh, in 2024. Sam, welcome. What's going on, man? Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. There's nothing like talking a little uh, offensive line. That's for sure. It's my favorite thing to talk about. It is the end-all, be-all in the game of football. Uh, you can have a terrible defense and a great offensive line and have a pretty good team. You can have an average quarterback and a great offensive line and have a really good team. You can have average running backs and a great offensive line and have a really good team. It all starts there. You know, that's just the reality. Unfortunately, for the average fan, it's the position that most people know the least about. And it's probably the most least interesting to watch. I'll never forget going to Pee Wee practices. You know, I'll get a coach call me up and say, hey, will you come out and help my little league team? And, you know, I got parents come up to me. And, and as I'm pulling kids from other positions to put them on the offensive line to, to find the best fit, the best group of five, I don't want my kid to play on the offensive line. I don't want that. Well, what do you mean you don't want that? Well, that's not fun. They don't get to touch the ball. And, you know, it's just one of those things where it's just like the ugly, you know, stepsister of, of football. But it truly is the most position, you know, most important position on the field away from your your quarterback, right? The second most in, important person in your offense, the center, the guy who starts with the football is on your offensive line. And probably the second smartest guy on your offense is that guy. I mean, it's it's an incredible position to play. I loved every second of it. You know, as an All-American guard there at Oklahoma State, you know, to me, watching my brothers have success, score touchdowns, um, I take a lot of pride in, you know, having a 100-yard back. I take a lot of pride in having 300-yard backs. I was on a team that did that one, uh, one game against UCLA my senior year. So, I mean, it's it's a great position, but it really truly is a make-or-break situation. And, you know, the more we look at Oklahoma, Eli, the more the offensive line conversation probably becomes the most prevalent of any position on the football field this year. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. I think the average fan probably knows it when they see their offensive line getting run through, or seeing their quarterback get hit, you know, every other play. Uh, but even the, I'd say the average sports writer, myself, I don't know. I don't have enough in, you know, whatever you have in your fingernail, you know more of, uh, of offensive line play than I do. And that's why you're here. It's why you're here to talk about it. But with the Sooners, you know, the extra concern this year, every year, it matters who's on your offensive line. Every college football team in the country can always use more offensive line and a better offensive line, but it really does dictate things. And when you think about the Sooners in 2024, you're also talking about who's going to protect Jackson Arnold in his first year. 
and and who's going to be there to protect him in in the first season in the SEC. All of that is is so important. I don't know if you could say it's more important than most years, but when you think about all the moving pieces, set the trails first offense, uh, a, a new quarterback who people are really excited about, who there's a lot of high hopes for, uh, it could all kind of live and die on an offensive line. And as we look at the Sooners in 2024, we're looking at an offensive line that's going to be almost entirely turned over. Uh, between six guys, they're going to lose 162 career starts. You know, that's guys like McCabe Matoyer, Malta Rouse, who made starts elsewhere, Andrew Rame, uh, Tyler Guyton, uh, Caden Green, and Savion Bird headed out the door through the portal. And it leaves the Sooners now in, in something of a precarious spot in terms of what they're bringing back and, again, what they're going to head into the SEC with. Just breaking it down a little bit, uh, I mentioned the guys who have left. Those are, are between eligibility, the draft, and the portal. Sooners are down six major contributors you know, from this past season. They're going to bring back some underclassmen. Jacob Sexton probably uh, leads that group. Jake Taylor, Logan Howland, Heath Ozeda, Josh Bates. And then there's the portal. We're going to get to these guys. And, and Sam, I'm really looking forward to your opinion on them. Uh, but, but Spencer Brown coming from Michigan State. Fabechi Wiwu coming from North Texas and Michael Tarkin are the three right now that have come in through the portal onto the offensive line. And as things stand, that's the crew that, that OU is going to roll into spring camp with. We know there's a spring portal where they can still add, um, but it's going to be an entirely turned over unit. Uh, I, I left out Troy Everett. I think you can expect him to be the starting center, but uh, that's the crew. And, and Sam, just off the bat, before you even get to player evaluation, Evaluating that much turnover, how does an offensive line and an offensive line room and a coach like Bill Biedenboe cope with all that turnover? Let me let me tell you a quick, I'll try to make a quick story um, to give you an idea of what, what turnover means, okay, and, and how extreme what Oklahoma is going through is. My junior season at Oklahoma State, we'll have one of the best teams that the Cowboys have had in a long time at that point. End up playing the Cotton Bowl, Eli Manning. Our offensive line gave up 13 total sacks that year. Um, probably the least penalized group in college football. We had the best fourth down playing college football. Like it was elite offensive line play across the board that year. Going into my senior season, we returned four out of the five, right? From right tackle to left guard. The only player that we had to replace was a left tackle. We didn't have one. We did not have a left tackle. Try to convert a tight end, didn't work, didn't have a left tackle on the offensive line, in the offensive line room. What that did to that football team, Eli, was incredible. Wiped out man protection. We no longer could go four wide. Any stunt that was sent to that, we played Nebraska that game, that first game of that senior season. Nebraska showed a bunch of blitzes to that left side once they figured out where the weak link was. Every team we played had the same series of blitzes Every single game after that, we did nothing but slide protection the majority of the time, slide left, slide right, wedge protection, but we couldn't man block. And so it literally took 25 to 35% of the offense out of Mike Gundy's playbook. This is one guy. This is one guy. You got an all-conference, two all-conference players coming back on the right side, right guard, right tackle. The center would have been all-conference if he didn't get hurt, and so would the left guard, to be completely honest. I mean, all four of them, I want to say the, the other two were second team that year. Four all-conference caliber players replacing one player, and we literally, it buried the offense. So when you look at Oklahoma this year and the turnover that they have, the chances of this being successful are very slim. I'm just being honest with you. I know people don't want to hear that. 
and it'll be that, oh, well, this is OU, not Oklahoma State, and OU's better than this, and OU's better than that, and OU gets better players and all the things. I'm just telling you how offensive line play works. Experience, time on the field together is what makes units great. And so to have to turn over four different players, and not only four different players, but the guys that you're bringing up don't necess- haven't, aren't necessarily going to be guys that have been on campus. Right, you're talking about transfers that most likely will be starters on this offense. And I love Bill Beatenbow. I think he's one of the best offensive line coaches in the country. Like I'm a Bill Beatenbow stand. Don't don't get it twisted. I think that dude is great. But he's not a magician. He's not a miracle worker. So when you consider the task in front of them, replacing all those players, not to mention the complete upgrade that you're gonna get in the league. Like everybody's nonchalant attitude about going to the SEC, I'm like, y'all are crazy. Like, all you have to do is look at the NFL draft to talk about the difference between the Big 12 and the SEC. And where we're talking about in the trenches is probably the most stark difference between the Big 12 and the SEC. So the level of competition at the Oklahoma offensive line is also going to change significantly this next season. So I'm panicking, right? Like, the red flag is is waving 100% for me in regards to Oklahoma's ability to establish an offensive line with a spring ball and a fall camp that's going to be able to get in day one and be cohesive and be a force to be reckoned with in that league. If he finds a way to do this, it'll be the best coaching job in the country. He'll win every every assistant coach award in the nation. We'll go to Bill Beatonbow if he can do this just excellently. So I, I don't know that a lot of people are sounding the alarm bells like you are now. And I know you've taken the dive into this stuff, looked at the tape of the guys they've brought in. Um, but you consider just who they've lost. Like if you go left to right, Walter Rouse from last season, you brought in a guy who'd started 40 some odd games uh, across, you know, finished his career with 40 some odd starts between Stanford and OU. Veteran, uh, an incredible personality, and a guy who slotted right in. Left guard, you started with Savion Bird, who'd been around a few years and, and probably never live up, lived up to what people thought at OU, but was was solid enough. And, and then you replaced him with Caden Green, who many viewed as a future All-American, a future you know, NFL draft pick. Andrew Rame, uh, multi-year starter at center. McCabe Matoyer closed his career at right guard with 55 career starts. Tyler Guyton, right tackle, is going to leave and, and probably be a first-round NFL draft pick. So that's what's lost. And then we're talking about replacing, and that's where you come in on, on this. And, and kind of what you just laid out is the pool that the Sooners are going to be pulling from. It will be uh, underclassmen who we've seen limited action from. Again, I think Jacob Sexton is a guy you'd look at and say, you know, they really liked him by the end of the year. He made, I think, four starts uh, t- toward the end of the season. He'll be a guy, whether it's right tackle, left tackle. I think he can play either spot. After that, it's a lot of unproven depth in, in recent uh, recruiting classes. And then you're talking about, uh, you know, Troy Everett probably slotting in at center, a guy who, who has versatility, can play guard. We saw parts of him this season. And then it's it's these transfers, and and that's kind of where I want to go next. I think by the end of this, the goal here, Sam, should be for us to map out some kind of projected offensive line for the Sooners in 2024 as things stand. They've got work to do, but people are going to look at the transfers and say, well, they got a guy from Michigan State in, in Spencer Brown. They have a USC transfer, Michael Tarkin. Uh, Fabeshi Wiwu from North Texas played under Seth Luttrell and think that there are holes filled. But I take it from from what you just laid out, and I, I know you've looked at the tape, you don't feel like they've got three plug-in guys right there necessarily. Yeah, let me let me let me take a, a step back real quick. What would you say? And you've admitted that you know this is not your specialty by mm-hmm. any means, but 
if you could give me a letter grade for last year's Oklahoma offensive line and the way that they performed, what would you say? I think they were at a, a B plus, A minus most of the year. They kept Dylan Gabriel upright. They didn't get the push they needed in the run game a lot. But I think that unit, in terms of keeping a quarterback upright, which is certainly where most fans are going to go. They're going to they're gonna look at offensive lines and kind of grade them on, do they keep the quarterback upright, keep clean pockets? I think that was a huge difference, difference for Dylan Gabriel was he had a cleaner pocket. So I would, in my you know relative layman uh, appraisal, I'd probably say B plus, A minus. Okay, so I would go B plus in, I would say B in the passing game, okay? I would say D in the running mm-hmm. game. So when I look at that total package, I'm seeing a, you know a C, C. Uh, maybe a high C, maybe mm-hmm. just a C somewhere in that area. And when you go back and you know list the individual accomplishments, you now there's a first round draft pick on that offensive line. You know, Caden Green's got some high predictions and all those things. All those things that just shows you, you know, kind of w- where they were at then. And now you're looking at some transfers that need to come in and not only be great individually, but they need to be great together. I mean, it just really puts it in perspective, right, on on how they're going to need to improve. Oklahoma's got to find a way to run the ball on command, period. Like, they they haven't been able to run the ball on command in years. Last year, when they needed to run third and two, third and three, was it a guarantee OU was going to run the no. ball? Absolutely it was a huge not. issue for them. They went to the passing game so often, and, right. you know, that short yardage, late game situations, that becomes a whole hit or miss deal. Right. And now these guys, you know, I, I was a little frustrated with them not, you know, to me, Jackson Arnold is, is, has got some Tim Tebow athleticism and the kid is not scared of contact. And I think a year under Schmitty, he's going to be, the body's going to be right next year. But I look at him as a, uh, he's going to have to be a huge part of the run game. And then I got, you know, talking heads telling me there's no way they'll do it because they don't have a backup. And I'm like, well, if you're not running him, if he's not a part of the run game next year, then they, they won't have one, right? And so looking at the transfers out of the three guys that I've been studying, big thank you for making me do this, by the way. Like, I, it was good for me to kind of immerse myself in this for uh, several hours the other day and just kind of check him out. I, look, I watched some more today. Um, but I, I do like Spencer Brown. I think that he has got, um, he's got a real nasty streak in him. You know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say he's a high motor guy by any means, but if you get under his skin and you put him in a hostile situation or in like a, in a big game, you know, I watched him play uh, a little bit against Michigan and, and a little bit against, um, oh, I'm trying to think. It was another big opponent that they had uh, that he was out there. And, and, you know, you could just tell that the effort was there because the opponent across from him really kind of forced him to get there. He's got extremely long arms. I think he's got excellent feet, very quick-footed. Um, I think the length of his arms at times makes it a little difficult for him with his hands, but I think you know, with the right coach, right technique, uh, right practice effort, you know, I think that kid can be better than he was a year ago under Bill Biedenboe. Uh He's the one guy that I look at and think, yeah, for sure, he's going to fill one of those uh, tackle spots for sure. I really feel bad for Jacob Sexton because I was kind of hoping that they were going to be able to go find some 6'8", 340-pound dude to come in and force them to move Sexton inside. He reminds me so much of Wes Sims, former Oklahoma hmm. uh, freshman All-American. Just ruthless, right? Hands on your body, beat you up, physical. Always running down the field, looking to get extra contact. Always blocking on the second level uh, with a high motor. Like the kid just doesn't, you know, former wrestler, he just wants to inflict pain. I love watching him play. But I think his natural home, honestly, would be at more of a guard position. 
And so I was hoping they'd be able to bump him in this year to do that. I don't necessarily know that that's going to be a, a you know the possibility looking at what they have coming back uh, this next year. But I do think that Spencer Brown capable of playing one of those tackle positions, most likely uh, that left tackle position if you're going to keep Jacob Sexton out there at that right tackle spot. Yeah, I think, you know, what's what's interesting with, with Spencer Brown, I mean, he probably fits the mold most. If you're projecting as an OU fan of like, he, he looks in terms of makeup more like a McCade Matoyer or a Walter Rouse and that he's been, you know, he's a 24-game starter at Michigan State. So he's played, you know, at the high power five level. Uh, he's done it over multiple seasons. He's an experienced starter. He's a guy that I think you could look at and at least hope can can come in, as you say, slot in, um, brings experience, which which they really need within this unit, um, and probably some relative stability. I mean, it, it's as stable as a guy transferring into a new system can be. But you mentioned all the positives, what he has in his game, what Bill Biedenboe can do. He fits that bill. And I think whether it's it's right tackle taking Tyler Guyton's spot or he played primarily at right tackle with, with Michigan State, moving in on the left, like that one makes sense. And it does make you wonder, you know, what do they do with Jacob Sexton? Are those going to be your your tackles on either side? Are they going to move him in at guard? That might might solve a problem because I, I think we're going to get to it. They don't have a lot of guard options. Right. Spencer Brown feels like the guy who makes sense. After that, you're talking about Michael Tarkin, who, you know, been at Florida, been at USC, 28 career starts. All that sounds great. But fact is, you know, I think he started eight games at USC this year and, and got benched and, and they weren't really sure where he needed to be. He's a, a guy who who can play both left tackle and right tackle. But, you know, almost like having it's a forced analogy, but two quarterbacks when when they're when you're getting moved left and right all over, you can tell me if I'm wrong. Probably means you don't stick at one position, right? Correct. I'll, I'll say let me say this too. Um, going back to um, Mr. Brown. A lot of this is personality fits too, right? And so when I watch him, you know, the dude's got a little bit of an edge and I don't know that he's necessarily friendly, right? I don't know that he is. Uh, I'd be curious to know what kind of locker room presence he is. I'd be curious to know what kind of, what his peers think of him away from the football field. And some guys just have this look about them when they're on the football field like you know don't get there's some guys are just animals on the field and the sweetest guy you ever meet in your life you know offensive linemen typically are pretty well liked you know they're they're pretty good guys especially within the group um i will i'm curious to know who who you think is is there a guy currently on the roster that you would say has got ability to be the under who's going to be the alpha Right. Mm. Because if you tell me you don't think there is an alpha, which I don't know that there is, then this makes this even more complicated because there's not one person that those kids are coming in and bending the knee to. Right. Like that year that I told you that year that we had added that left tackle that we failed, that kid came in. He was a senior. We were all juniors and he tried to call a meeting in the summertime. And so my phone just blows up with all these underclassmen like, hey, did you know that this dude called this meeting? What is it about? And I was like, no. And they're like, do we have to go? They're asking me, right? And I hadn't even really put my foot down as that guy yet. Because all three of us pretty much, like all that interior, that offensive line, we'd all had, you could have called all of us, you know, alphas and leaders of that group. We kind of led together, all the same class, all different styles. But they're calling us like, do we have to come to this meeting? And that kid was furious because he was the upperclassman. He's a senior and he's going to put it, you know, he's going to lead this offensive line. And we were like, no, you're not. We all showed up to the meeting. We were like, no, this isn't how this works. 
right? You're going to get in line and try to figure it out and work with us because we're all established great players. You know, like, is there a guy on Oklahoma's offensive line that those kids are going to come in and acknowledge as the leader? Because if there's not this kid, Spencer Brown looks like someone that would try to fight for some leadership. You know what I mean? Just based off the few games that I'm watching, I'm like, yeah. you know, he's he has that little bit of an edge. And that could be great if they needed that guy or it could be not great if they think they have that guy. Well, here's the thing. We don't we don't know Spencer Brown. We don't know any of the guys they brought in, and neither of us are in that locker room. What I can say, one of the strengths of this team, not just this offense or this offensive line, but this team this the past two seasons, as Brent Venable has gotten things uh, going, is that the offensive line has been a source of leadership um, and stability on the whole. And I think, undoubtedly, the stability there is, is gone, and, and so are some leaders. And so... Perhaps this is an offensive line that is screaming out for somebody to come in who's experienced right. and become that guy. But, you know, I don't know, um, at least, you know, from where I am, we're around the team a lot, but we're not around them always. And, you know, of, of who that alpha is, quote unquote, on, on the offensive line, I, I don't think that answer exists, at least right now. Maybe, maybe they would know in, in Norman, right, as they're getting offseason workouts going, but maybe they're waiting on that answer, too. Um, right. They've just lost so much in terms of experience and identity on that line. I could have told you, uh, you know, two months ago at the end of the season uh, and in the closing weeks, who those guys were, who were the leaders on that offensive line. That question is at, at least now open. And, and as we hear from coaches all the time, they're getting better at evaluating the portal, both for talent and for personalities. And, and I do right. think, you know, I, this is a point of frustration, I think, for some OU fans, that this is not a program generally under Brent Venables that is bringing guys in that don't fit the quote unquote character or the mold that they are looking for. And now maybe you make have to make those sacrifices when the situation is more dire than others. But point being, you know, they're very considerate about who they're bringing in, but they also only have so much time to evaluate. Uh, and you are evaluating guys on the fly and fast. And so right. it's going to be an alchemy and a chemistry that they've got to get right. Uh, and they've got, you know, the next nine months to do it. They've got a spring camp. Uh, they've got the program before it, the offseason program. And they'll have a spring portal, and I think that may be where you're gonna you're gonna see OU. Uh, they may say in in spring camp, we feel really good about what we have. We we like this group. We're excited. But I would imagine, even just for depth purposes, but also I'm assuming to upgrade that starting five, they're gonna have to be active in the spring portal. And and the fact that that's gonna be open ended is not great for the Sooners. And the fact that you know whoever they bring in at that point will not have gone through spring camp, that's gonna be a factor because this is. This is going to be a process, and, and I've got no doubt that Bill Biedenboe would like more time with whatever his starting unit's going to be than less. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think that um, I, I, it's, such a, it's just such a tight-knit group. Like, you hate to blow it up, right, because so-and-so doesn't like this guy or this guy doesn't like that guy. And it's just – you just never know, right? You never know what could happen when you're dealing – uh, with the, with these group, I'll, I'll tell you this about the the next two, uh, Tarquin and and uh, Fabecci. Am I saying that correctly? It's Fabecci and then Wee Woo. Almost, I mean, people have joked like an ambulance, but that's how you pronounce his name. The North Texas transfer, Fabecci Niwu. I don't see them uh, causing any issues in a in a huddle, or and I don't necessarily see Spencer Brown doing it either. I'm just saying Spencer Brown is that dude is he's got a, a edge for sure. Like he's going to stick out in a room personality wise, uh, based off of what I've seen the last in the couple games that I watched, I think that 
Tarquin is one of those, you know, he's kind of a journeyman vibe. You know, I think when you bounce around as an offensive lineman as much as this kid does, it really kind of speaks volumes about who you are as a player. Uh, I think he's got quick feet. I think he can move well. I'd love him at like a left guard position. I think he can move around pretty good. He's never going to be a real power player, in my opinion. Um, you know, if I wouldn't necessarily think I want this guy on my starting offensive line when I watch him play, right? Uh, I think there was a lot. He always looked confused there at USC. Like as he's running around, I'm just like, do you know what the the play is? The protection is like there wasn't a whole lot of communication on that right side. That could be him and the guard, or it could be their center wasn't great. USC looked discombobulated in their offensive line the majority of the season, so it was difficult to evaluate him in that situation. But if we're just talking about body, um, I do like his ability to move right, and he's just about the right size for. A uh, guard. I don't think he's quite six five. I think he's a little light too, about three hundred pounds somewhere in there. Um, but I did like him. You know, if, if I'm thinking quick guard position, that's somebody that I would consider you think he just slot in there at guard, play. perhaps. Yeah, he might be able to slide in there at guard. That I, one's I fascinating say, only because he's played tackle his whole career. But but again, right. in, in terms of solving problems, whether it be him or someone like Sexton, you start moving these guys out of their natural spots or the spots they've played, you at least start to fill some holes. I, I'm a tackle that moved to guard and it was like coming home for me, right? Like tackles are extremely athletic and I was extremely athletic. Don't get it wrong. I could play the position, but when I moved to guard, it was like, whoa, you want me to play football in a phone booth? Like a, you want me to just be a goon? Like fist bites is all I have to do now. Like without a ton of chasing these, you know, defensive ends are the best athletes in the field on every level, period, right? Six, seven, Six six two fifty four five forties like these dudes are freaks and like you're telling me I've got five steps essentially to disarm this monster of a man that's coming up the field at full tilt. It's not fun playing tackle. I hated it. Like mentally, it'll mess you up. Right? Guard is not that. It is the guy across from you is a big ugly just like you are. Sometimes he's a little bit quicker than you, but once you're engaged, it's about who the tougher man is. That's what it comes down to. It's just about brutality in the middle. So I love that transition. And that's why when I watch Jacob Sexton play, I'm like, dude, you're a guard. Like, I feel like you would, lo you would just love it, getting down there and playing on the inside. Very capable tackle. And I think he'll be an All-American caliber tackle if he stays out there too. But at guard, I just feel like it would be just a, like he, he could just be more of himself, more reckless in the guard position. Um. You know, this kid is, he's a body that, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily know. Like, I think he could be a starter in the SEC, but I guess we'll have to see. And then as far as Fabecchi is concerned, I'm also kind of the same way here. I'm like, I, I can appreciate your story. I can appreciate the way that you, you know, walk on there at North Texas and all the things, but he does not jump off the film to me in any way, shape or form. Like you'd be capable of playing SEC football next year. And that's as nice, literally as nice as I can be like watching him play i'm like you're a good this is this is north texas football and you're doing a good job here but the level that you're getting ready to go to is a different animal like the players you're playing against are different animals like this would be like being a, a go-kart racer right and then all of a sudden somebody putting you in a nascar and saying okay drive this now against that competition that's how different this is like the the different levels of, of football and and in its own in its you know division one football, power five football, the SEC takes it another step. 
because all those dudes are staying. Like, you want to be an elite defensive tackle? Where do you go play, Eli? The South, mm-hmm. right? That's where you go play, period, right? You might go to Notre Dame, right? You might end up, you might stay, go to Oregon, like some of those Polynesian players that'll stay up in the north, Northwest a little bit. But those dudes go to the South. So, like, it is almost a guarantee that every SEC game you're going to see play is going to be an NFL player, an NFL caliber player and player playing down there. And I'm looking at Babetchi like, I don't see it. I don't see where the translation is. But, you know, they, they have a, they're familiar with this kid, and I don't know what his weight room statistics are. Maybe he'll rise to the occasion. But, you know, film-wise, it was – it left a little bit to be desired, you know, as well, far as me, that me thinking he can make that transition. You mentioned his story, former walk-on at North Texas under Seth Luttrell. I think that's an interesting piece I want to ask you about, but former walk-on uh, first season became a starter, started a bunch of games. After that, I think he's about 20 career starts, comes with two years of eligibility, but he played for Seth Luttrell and that was the easy connection initially when he hit the portal. Uh, and then obviously it, it panned out. He came to Oklahoma what does it tell you beyond maybe the tape that, that Seth Luttrell, or, or maybe what doesn't it tell you? Maybe it's not that big a deal, but that Seth Luttrell presumably had some hand in getting him back uh, onto his own team. Yeah, it makes you feel better. It makes me feel a little bit better because obviously he, he knows that kid extensively. You know, like they didn't, they didn't, ju- this is more than just a, he hopped into the portal. He's a freshman All American or whatever that, you know, his, his attributes were come into it let's go ahead and bring him in here to Oklahoma I mean there's some intimate knowledge of who he is as a student um you know as a guy in the locker room as a guy in the film room you know maybe they there's just a you know some guys get thrown into the hornet's nest which is what this is and they just rise to the occasion maybe he's one of those uh but the competition I saw him playing at North Texas you know he was serviceable and won a lot of matchups but you know if you're telling me you're going North Texas I want to turn on the film and watch him just wreck that entire league like a, like it's like a small bomb going off at the right guard position every time they snap the ball because he's so much better than who he's playing against. That makes you feel good about taking him to the next level. You know what I mean? Like when I mm-hmm. turned on his highlight, his his tape, I was expecting to see like a like some sort of a you know a crime scene. Like it's I wanted someone who didn't belong there, someone who it, didn't right. fit into to that level of football. Yeah. Yes, like he's not finishing blocks downfield. He's not chasing guys down. Like, watch Jacob Sexton play, and you're like, you could see it, right? You're like, this kid's going to be special one day. You can just see it with his attitude, the motor that he has. I didn't see that with him at all. It was it was almost shocking, right? Because it, that, that, to me, was the only way this was going to happen, was for me to turn on his tape and think, that's it, right? He's not. He's way better than where he's at, uh, and, he, and he's just not, right? And so, based off of what I've watched, and it's only been a couple of games, and I'm not perfect by any means. But I was a little bit surprised how he kind of blended into the rest of that group there in North Texas. So that's what we're looking at right now in terms of transfer additions. I don't think they've gone out to this point and added some big time impact guaranteed 13 game starter. Maybe Spencer Brown will be that guy. And it sounds like he's got the upside to do it. We know he's at least, you know, done it at the highest level. But past that, you're returning Jacob Sexton, you're returning uh, Troy Everett, who I, I think logically is about the the only high level center they have right now uh and then you're talking about a, a group of of underclassmen or some will be uh you know into their sort of junior seasons at this point uh it's so hard to pin down you know what anybody is red shirt sophomore everything's gotten all flipped around but logan halland heath ozeda josh base jacob sexton jake taylor they're they're in that group of returners 
um, who could feature, but I think they probably factor into that too deep depth. Um, and the Sooners are going to have to go and, and do more work uh, in that spring portal. There's no doubt about it. And, and perhaps that's where they're going to find a gem and maybe find a guy um, who leaves a program after spring camp and is, is a perfect fit. But for, for now, you, you know, we're, we're probably eight weeks out, something like that from, from spring camp, which is hard to believe. And the Sooners don't necessarily have that complete offensive line you'd feel good about. So Sam, what I'd ask you, if you're Bill Biedenbo, what what's number one on his uh, on his to do list with this unit, save for uh, hoping that a perfect NFL ready lineman hits the portal and wants to come to Oklahoma? Got to give him the mesh, right? It's building. <coughs> excuse me, I'm mean, a coughing attack. It's like building relationships within that group. These guys have got to find a way to become buddies. They got to watch film together. They got to live together. They got to eat together. And really just become one cohesive unit. That's the most important part at this point. And, you know, I, I think that's, you know, that's what this offseason program's for. That's, um, that's what these next nine months are for. Absolutely. Um, but then when you get, when we, are we going to be able to know much about this unit until September? I and mean, we'll hear what they tell no. us. We'll see, we'll see some kind of shell of a unit in the spring game, but you can only right. read so much into that anyhow. It's not going to be perhaps even into well into September when they're playing SEC games finally that we're really going to know. Yeah, it's, I mean, you're talking four weeks into the season is when you'll get an idea of what their, you know, high, their best level could potentially be. I mean, it's, it's a guessing game up to this point. We'll see, have an idea of what he's thinking in the spring, but yeah, it's a lot, man. I mean, it's just a tough spot to be in on any football team. And I would say this about the portal into any uh, young offensive lineman that comes across this. You're in the position that the portal can hurt you more than help you as an offensive lineman. I'm serious. Because from my redshirt freshman year to my, from my true freshman year to my redshirt freshman year, it was all about my body. Right, figuring out how to get bigger and faster, stronger. And then it was about my mind and understanding the game of football within Oklahoma State's framework. Our offense, reading defense. That was year two. Year three came to better understanding defenses. Right. And then year four it all came together. Then year five, I was a monster, right? It takes time. And when you're bouncing from place to place to place, it just disrupts everything that you're trying to do. So I I just really feel like they're hurting themselves as offensive linemen when they get out of that rhythm because if you're changing offenses and you're changing signal calls and you're changing teammates, right? It's you have to take a step back every time you move somewhere. And so, you know, for a guy like Caden Green, I'm like, man, why would you do that to yourself? I mean, I get it, money talks, but he won't be as good of a player leaving Missouri as he would have been leaving Oklahoma. Because now he's got to take a natural step back because he's got to relearn a different offense and a different calls and a different teammates. And it takes years to do that, right? The body work alone as an offensive lineman, like these are grown men you're playing, right? Imagine being a 19-year-old boy, which you still are, and then you get in a game with a 22-year-old senior. Like that's not, those two things aren't the same. Those bodies aren't the same. Those abilities aren't the same. By the time I was a, a junior 
I, my my mind had developed so much with my understanding at the game, Eli, that if I walk up to the line of scrimmage and that three technique whose outside eye is supposed to line up or his inside eye is supposed to line up on my outside eye. Let's just say his outside eye moved an inch. In my brain, I'm immediately alerting the rest of my dude. Something's different here, right? He's lined up here consistently for 40 plays, and now he's changed just a little bit. I'm telling them, game, game, game. All of a sudden, we set back in our pass protection with a mindset that something different is going to happen, right? He's either going to twist or he's going to back out or something different is going to happen. We don't know, but it has alerted the rest of the offensive line that change is getting ready to happen in front of us when this ball snaps. Like being able to see the intricacies of the game doesn't come until late. Rarely do you get, you know, freshmen or sophomores or redshirt freshmen or sophomores that have that ability to pick those things up. It happens. You know, there are some kids that just develop super early, but going from to me, I was officially weaponized. I became a great player my junior year because of all those things. My body was ready. My mind was seasoned. I was a veteran. I understood defenses. I understood my offense. I knew my brothers next to me. I was unstoppable at that point, right? But I put in the work at one university. These dudes that are on the offensive line, this is not the same as like a running back. Like, no, I, I, you know, coaches recruit running backs. But rarely do you see a running back come in and outside of their body changing, do you see their game change in any way because some coach took them under their wing and made them a better running back? Like Barry Sanders is Barry Sanders day one. You know what I mean? Like that's not the same. Offensive linemen, though, can be molded, right? Offensive linemen can be molded into great players, and their coaches are the ones that spend the most time with them, and it's a real detail-oriented position that I feel like the portal is just killing. Uh, because these kids just don't want to take the time. And sometimes you have to make a you have to make the right choice the first time. I chose Oklahoma State because I knew I'd play early. It had nothing to do with the university. I loved the conference and I knew that I would play young. I could have gone to Miami and sat there for, for three years and had to wait for two more my last two years to play. I didn't want to do that. I didn't feel like that gave me the best chance of playing in the NFL. Like these kids need to make the right choice the first time and just Stay there. You know, this portal business is just going to kill offensive line play. Like, it's going to get worse, in my opinion, because of the transfer portal. And it's already not good. I mean, just look at the NFL, Eli. How many NFL teams would you say have good offensive lines? It's almost like the Less same as quarterback. And I think we had Correct. this conversation on your podcast last month. It's like the quarterback play has gotten worse. The offensive line play has gotten worse. And you wonder where that begins. Yeah. Uh, it's, and it, a, it's the feeder system, right? Right. And that's college it really football. really is. And, I, yeah, and I would I'm, say, I'm nervous you know, across the board about this. I mean, everything you just laid out, does that, uh, maybe that softens the blow. If you're an Oklahoma fan, or even if you're Brent Venables and Bill Biedenboe, they missed out on Lance Hurd, uh, the, the former five-star guy, committed to LSU, transfers after one year. It was down to the Sooners and uh, in Tennessee. And ultimately, Tennessee uh, won out. He, he's headed there. He'll be there next year. And it kind of sparked a whole debate around Norman, I think, among the fan base around NIL and if the Sooners are, are going forward enough, getting beat out by soon-to-be conference foes. But perhaps it was always a fallacy to think that he was going to come in and, and be a guy in year one just because he was a five-star guy. I mean, he, he'd been impressive. And he, he kind of like Caden Green, he just has that build of, like, if this guy is molded right, um, he looks like a future NFL guy. But... To your point right there, the development is so important. Even the very best built guys, the guys with NFL bodies, 
don't necessarily, you know, there's so much else to it. And I don't know if that softens the blow. I'm sure there's plenty of OU fans uh, who are still pretty bummed. I, I couldn't tell you how Bill Biedenboe and Brent Venables feel, but um, that's the other piece of this for the Sooners. They, they've learned it thus far in the portal, and, and they may learn it uh, between now and September, even all through this coming season. There's not quick fixes. There's only so many quick fixes in the portal. Every program in the country would love to add, you know, NFL caliber or even elite college caliber offensive linemen that you could just slot in. If they grew on trees, then everyone would be happy, but they, they simply don't. And Oklahoma is going to have its work cut out for it, trying to, uh, to sort out this offensive line. I'll, I'll ask you this. I'll give you one impossible task before we get out of here. If you were okay. Bill or if you were in his shoes, uh, and it was what it, we're recording January 22nd. If you were filling out an opening day offensive line based on what the Sooners have right now, what would it look like? Oh, I think it's Sexton at the right tackle, Brown at the left. Um, oh, who's the who's the returning center? It's uh, Troy Everett. I think you can slot yeah, him I like in Everett. there. I like Everett. You know, some, you, if you got to have a 6'3 kid on your team, you want him at the center position. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to see one of those incoming freshmen, like the the uh, St. Pierre kid. Yeah. I would love I mean, to see what his weight room, like is he, is, does his, is he able to, like the speed is there, right? Like the speed is absolutely there. The athleticism is there. You know, does he have the the overall strength to play Division One football day one? Uh, it's very rare that that's the case, but he looks like he's built a little bit different. If you can and get one will, of those, go ahead. Well, give credit. You know, we didn't hit much. We hit on, you know, the underclassmen who we haven't seen much, but we didn't hit on the class of 2024 and yeah. in part because, shoot, expecting mo- any freshman, you know, Caden Greens don't grow on trees, but a freshman to come in and start, you know, even eight games is lofty. But you, you mentioned Eddie Pierre-Louis. And then Eugene Brooks is a guy who, who I know really impressed at, at some of the kind of high school American deals. Right. I'd imagine just like Eddie, it's the same story. Talent appears to be there or, you know, the right. promise. It's what happens in these next, you know, nine months. Can, can yeah. one of these I guys mean, do, be ready? Do you have the body and do you have the ability to process information fast enough that mm-hmm. you're going to be a competent, competent mentally and physically that you can play D one ball in the SEC year one. Um you know, if if not one of those guys, there's some some they got some fillers in there, but I don't know that I don't that, that I would say that I would be thrilled about any of the guard options at this point. You know, I think that there's a lot of work to be done, but I will say, you know, Tarkin will be in the mix. Um I can't imagine that Fabechi would at this point, but like I said, there's a reason that that kid is at NOU right now. I mean, we're talking about this is Norman, Oklahoma. They're bringing you in for a reason. So it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. Yeah, I think if uh, whether it's going to be good enough or not, we can't know yet. But they seem to be well-stocked enough at, at tackle. It's the guard spots they've simply got to address. And, and they still could even in these next few weeks. But if not, then it's going to be the spring. But this is uh, not... It's not the same offensive line the Sooners came in with in, in 2023, and uh, it's certainly going to be a major part of the story when we're talking about the SEC and heading in there. So, Sam, appreciate you breaking it down a bit with us. Uh, let us know what you're working on. What do you got coming this week? Well, I've got Ethan Downs here, like, right That's now. Right. So, yeah, I'm going to hop off and, and hop on with him. I'm pretty excited to talk to the Sooner starting defensive end, not only about football, but his family life, what went down to the Sugar Bowl. 
uh, this year. I thought that was mm-hmm. pretty cool. The horns down photo and, and some other things, but yeah, so it'll be a good, uh, good chat with Mr. Downs. Ask him what he thinks about the offensive line. He'd know. I yeah. Mean, maybe he not yet. Know. He hasn't gotten to go against some of these guys, but I'm sure he's got takes. Well, look forward to that. Sooners fans, I'd imagine we'll love that. Um, we'll have a whole lot more going on at sellout crowd. I'll have plenty going on around the Sooners. Big hoops game. A couple big hoop games this week at Lloyd Noble Center. Big thank you to our producer, Jacqueline Musgrove, creative director, uh, Michael Lane, uh, Michael Martin, Bobby Howard, everything you guys do. Big thank you. And we will be back on Letterman Jacket here soon.